You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 13 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock, and during the commercial break, Mark Dykton informs us that there's breaking news, according to what, the AP? Is that right? Yeah. Says, uh, 14-year-old Dev Shaw wins the Scripps National Spelling Bee with the word Samophile, P-S-A-M-M-O-P-H-I-L-E. It's something in the you ocean. You use that in a sentence. I can't use. No, it. wait a minute. It, I remember looking up the definition when I saw that last night. Something to do with the ocean, I believe. Well, what, what I'd like to know then? is, yeah, what's the definition of breaking news? Like, do are there child labor laws over the fact that apparently we're having the Scripps Howard running be uh, spelling bee running through the late in the night? If it broke at seven forty-five, what yeah, time well, did it? Didn't one year they were worried about how late it was going, so they just ended it in a tie, which was a disgrace. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I never joke. know when the Scripps National Spelling Bee is. All of a sudden, it's just like, oh, it was on. I'm like, what? It used to be like an ABC event, like yeah. an eight o'clock uh-huh. ABC, and obviously last night, oh, it was a lot more letters than just that. Game one of the finals. That'd be one of the easier words. <laughs> I've told you guys, and, and I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that I still lose sleep over it, but the 1984 Allisonville Elementary School Spelling Bee, it came down to myself and Jody Shear as the finalists, and I had to spell car fare, and I, I misstepped and went with IR. I kept envisioning the, the scene from breaking away with the car lot with all the flags around it and I thought it was a fair where they have cars and so I misspelled it and I stepped aside and they said, ooh, now if Jody spells the next word correctly, she'll win and she got car hop. I still think that's one of the most car ridiculous... Hop. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's car like, fair isn't exactly a challenge. I will grant you that but at least there are... Many of your classmates two- will do this at some point in there. <laughs> High school careers. <laughs> Come on now. It's a different... Kevin, car hop meant like knobbies. Like you pull up and they would come out with what? roller skates and put Nobbies. cheeseburgers on your window ledge, not breaking into cars, stealing tapes. Not that I'd know what that definition of car hop meant, but I'd like to know what was going on at Cathedral High School in the... ALR Panthers is what I just said. I mean... There, I Jake, the most disappointing wow. cult from last season was who? Um, not hail bop. L- let me think. The most disappointing cult, probably a list that you could list. That was a solid a a, a couple of there. names on. But if you just had to go with one, I I think there's one. I mean, and it's not just okay, because of what we, this player did on the field. Are we talking of returning players? Uh, no, no. I mean, just strictly 2022 Colts roster. The most disappointing player for you is who? Uh, Matt Ryan. Would be very high on the list. Um, See, to me, I think there's a little bit more obvious one. And again, not just due to his play on the field. Largely to do with what he was doing this time last year. I got to think about that. Are we Shaquille Leonard? I would go with Kenny Moore. Yeah, okay, that's... That was almost so obvious that, you know what I mean? You, know, you think of early June last year, Jake, remember Kenny Moore was rather public in his holdout, sit-in, whatever you want to call it. He was still showing up to Colts OTAs, but for the first time in his career, he wasn't participating in them. And I, I've always said this about the Colts, and you know, cue up the whole Jinx music here. Jake, in the last decade, I can't recall more than one Colts player getting arrested, and I can't call of, I can't recall really any Colts player having a public contract dispute. 
Like, it just it hasn't really happened for this franchise. And honestly, you could probably date back to, you know, early Grigson years. Like, I, I didn't really see much of that with him. And that's where I kind of get to the Kenny Moore thing of, you know, you're a pro bowler two years ago. You decide to make a, again, a public, you know, stance on your contract situation. Uh, hello, Bullseye. Bullseye's on your back. Expectations rise. Uh, it if you're going to do that, you better step up and play at least to the level we're used to, if not better. Kenny Moore did not do that whatsoever last season. Did not even sniff the sort of you know production numbers that we're used to. I think you can make the argument at times he's a liability for you. And now he heads into a contract here. And he said all the right things this, this offseason. Um, he felt like there were some issues with him and the coaching staff. Uh, Gus Bradley, I think, has been pretty candid in talking about that as well. Uh, it's a contract year now for Kenny Moore. He makes north of $8 million this year. Again, to me, he did not sniff the return on that last season. Uh, but if you're going to do that, if you're going to be public with it, you better back it up with your play. And given that, I, I would list him as the most disappointing Probably cost himself some money, right? I mean, because a year ago... Kevin, and, a, and a little bit of reputation if he cares about it. Yeah, there were a lot of people a year ago that were like, they've got to sign it, you know what I mean? And this is a must. you got to get it done. And it, it's funny because I saw him in the parade on Saturday. Yeah. And, and I was thinking to myself, like, okay, like, he is still here. But, man, it, it was kind of a disappearing act, right? And you think about the youth and around him. And position where they most needed sa- stable play. And I would say that's even risen in the last, you know, three or four months. Because no Stephon Gilmore now. Where we sit here on June 2nd, the Shaquille Leonard question remains very near the top of the list as I think biggest storylines to watch entering the season. So given that, the youth in the secondary in general, but particularly at corner, boy, you need Kenny Moore badly. And he had been, Jake, so steady throughout his career. Such an important piece, so reliable, stood for everything that you wanted. Well, you remember during... um Hard knocks. I mean, when they announced him as a as yeah, a pro bowler, I mean, the, the team went crazy, right? It was weird watching him go through that contract thing last spring. And I remember saying to some of my colleagues, I'm like, that is the last guy from a personality standpoint that should be going through a contract dispute. Like, he was a bad contract holdout guy. You could tell he didn't, like, really want to do it. And... He kind of didn't know how to do it. Yeah, that's that's what I'm what I'm getting at. He just doesn't have the personality to be like, you know, here's Drew Rosenhaus and TOs doing push-ups on the driveway. Like when you're if you are holding out against a franchise in a city, it's kind of hard to show the hard line that you stand when you show up wearing the minor league hockey jersey of the other team in town and showing and while attending the minor league soccer team's practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Like, boy, this looks like a guy that doesn't want to be here. Yeah, he's the dude that shows up to Carb Day at 7 a.m. like, hey, I'm going to bong a beer, and then just pukes everywhere. <laughs> uh, all right, man. Yeah, okay. That went well. Mm-hmm. That that was not me, by the way. That beer was a prop, if Mark Miles is listening. Um, just a little teaspoon of a sip, J-Cat, of the Little Kings. Uh, that is correct. So yesterday I'm Thanks driving. bringing me one, by Probably the way. this time last week, right? Yeah, it was right about now. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, yesterday, I'm driving in my car, and it's, you ever had this happen? A song comes on the radio. And Shout you just, out to listener Mike, by the way, for the Little Kings. And you think to yourself, this is a great song that like I've just always known, right? Never been a favorite, never been my favorite song, but like this is just a great song. I'm singing along like it just it's always been around, right? 
So I'm driving and I hear one of those, and then it segues in my brain, because my brain is weird, into three other songs that I think are very similar to said song. So I did a Twitter poll, Kevin. Okay. Okay? So I need you, Kevin Bowen, to weigh in on this, okay? Oh, what the hell was that? Jump the gun there. You are a big Twitter poll guy. I do like doing the Twitter polls. This Should I is, look at it, or are you going to tell me? No, we're going to play you a sample of the four songs. Okay. I want you to tell me which is the best of these four songs. I am going to assume, even with our vast age difference, that you have heard all four of these songs at some point in your life. Okay. Okay. Um, song number one. You're just simply picking which is the best song. I don't. The one that you just go, that is a great song. Okay. It's so well the one done. I would want to listen to. The best song of these four. Here's song, choice number one. Yeah, that would be modern English and melt with you. Mm-hmm. Which you might do today if you walk outside. That is correct. Choice number two. This would be, of course. Tears for fears, okay? Come. Song three. Don't you forget about me. Simple Minds and Don't You Forget About Me. And the fourth. Bless the Rains, baby. That's Africa by Toto. Right there. I go four, one, two, three. Okay. Interesting. I I am a big Africa Toto fan. Interesting. Because so far, and I would love for people to vote on this. At Jake Query is my Twitter account. I think it's the most recent tweet I have. At J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y. Which of those four songs, now that I just played them, is going to be stuck in the heads of people for the longest today? Which of those four is the one that people are like, oh my God, Quarry played that this morning and I can't get it out of my head. I find myself whistling Africa a decent amount. Right now, Africa is at 35%. I personally find Africa to be uh, Toto's second greatest song. I like Rosanna better. Now, how did this come up? His brain. Well, yeah. Excuse me, Mark. Well, I'm no. just saying that's what you said happened. <laughs> that was, I heard a song and then I was driving. I was driving along. Don't you forget about me? Don't you forget about me? Came on the radio when I was driving, and I don't know why I was like. I always get this song confused with "Everybody Wants to Rule the World," and then I was like, "What other songs are kind of like it in that same ilk?" And I've ne- the reason I find this interesting is because I did the Twitter poll because my brain is weird like that, but it's rare that I do a Twitter poll that is so evenly balanced. And people like went crazy over it. Right now, thirty five percent Africa leads, so people agree with you. Now, any of these acts at the Railbird Festival in Lexington <laughs> that's forcing the Hoosiers and the Cardinals to be in the dorms? I, no. If they, so, I think they'd be in like the third or lo- third line or lower. On now, the- can we bunk both of our beds, or do we have to keep one on the ground due to safety measures? Do they have the little oscillating phone between, like, in, in the wall between the dorms? You got to spin it to the other side. Tell you what, getting the doctor's note for the AC unit in the window was just huge. Absolutely huge. Wow. That was big. It was with uh, my mom last night, Jake. She said, boy, for a second there, I thought Jake was going to ruin the final episode of Ted Lasso. I had to turn off the uh, the radio earlier in the week. Hey, I... I said, he did not. He did not. Have you watched it yet, did you say? Yeah. Everybody here has watched it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. Maddie got... Well, I think I can say that. Maddie got pretty emotional. Really? She's an emotional human. She would say that. I but. remember watching the finale of The Wire... I mean, 
10 years after the show came out is when I watched The Wire. But when I watched the last episode of The Wire with like 30 minutes left, I kept like pausing it and rewinding because I didn't want it to end. I didn't necessarily feel that way about this finale, but great show. I was thinking about this, and this is a little bit kind of in the weeds with soccer, but Greg Rexhaw will be one to throw this off of. Rick, do you think Ted Lasso on Apple TV has anything to do with the MLS on Apple TV? Because if I'm not mistaken, I believe the entire MLS package is now on Apple. Correct. There is still a, a a linear television option for a game or two a week on Fox Sports 1, but it is it is off of ESPN ABC for the first time in MLS's history dating back to 1996. And do I think that the success of Ted Lasso has something on a small level to do with Major League Soccer being on Apple TV? Yes, I do. I think there's a carryover in the demographics. So I think it's more along the lines of, of the soccer crowd tends to skew younger, which has been early adapters to Apple TV and streaming services in general. Right. But I think Ted Lasso is part of a gateway for that. I certainly do. So, Greg... And I don't know the answer to this. I don't know that you'll know the answer to this because I don't know that there's a definitive answer to this. But going from a traditional television package to strictly a streaming package, in your opinion, for any sport, is a sign of a sport on the rise or a sport on the decline? Uh, I don't think there's an answer to it. I I think it's still... Again, the, the younger the viewer or the younger the viewing base the easier that transition is. Right. I think everything is heading in that direction. You, you, and I don't think there is a sport that doesn't have a streaming option at this point. I still think you are leaving behind viewers if you don't have that linear television option. So I don't think it's a sign of, of on the way up or on the way down. I think it's just more of a sign of changing technology. And I think we're to that point where... You know, a stream only largely covers your fan base, but I don't think we're there yet. Again, Greg Gregshaw with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. We'll certainly get some college baseball talk with Rake here in just a few, but Rake, I, I do have to throw in my own fandom here. Uh, Notre Dame basketball yesterday gets a commit from Tay Davis. I think those, you know, locally will, will know the Davis name, both of the brothers um, here playing at LC and Warren over the last few seasons. Um, first off, I guess, what are they getting in Tay Davis, and does it surprise you at all? Because to me, I thought this was just a huge aspect of moving on from Mike Bray. I don't think Mike Bray did a very good job recruiting the city of Indianapolis and the surrounding counties very well. Micah Shrewsbury has already made some inroads there. So, uh, Tay Davis's career path to ND, and then just thoughts on Micah Shrewsbury's ability to recruit this city and surrounding counties. Well, obviously, you've got the Davis brothers uh, that, you know, at first we're going to be a, a pair at UofL, then we're together at Seton Hall. Um, you know, what impressed me about Tay uh, from, like, his junior to senior year was the amount of time that he spent in the weight room. I mean, he went from from, from his junior to senior season, he became a grown man. Um, good, good shooter, not a great shooter. I'm not sure that he – and maybe he's worked on this in, in his year at Seton Hall – in terms of expanding being a three-point shooter, um, has all the athletic goods, comes from a basketball family, so knows the game well. Um, because he has played around such other outstanding players, especially in his days at Lawrence Central High School standpoint, is how to not be the guy. 
I think that is a major adjustment, and maybe it's lesser now because of AAU basketball. But there are guys that, you know, when you get to a college campus, basically every guy has been the guy on their high school basketball team. And it's a bit of a struggle to figure out, okay, how am I a role player? Um, that's not the case for Tay, because he played with guys like his, his older brother, uh, Nigel Pack, Jake LaRavia. He played with all of those guys uh, in, in terms of his days at Lawrence Central. So, um, again, I want to I see his... Um, I want to see his jump shot improve a little bit. I want to see his free throws improve a little bit. At least that dates back to his days in high school. But athletically, he can more than fit the bill. Greg, one of the things we've talked about with you before, but it's a good time of year to to kind of bring it back up for obvious reasons because the summertime to me, like when it comes to basketball in general, I mean, there were a few things in my era, old man yelling at clouds here, that were more prestigious than the Indiana All-Star Game. I mean, to the point of like the top 40 workouts just to get an opportunity to, to be in the discussion for an All-Star bid. And I, I think it's still very prestigious in Indiana, and it's a great honor for the kids that make the All-Star team. But I've I've each year had a growing concern that kids more prioritize representing their AAU circuits than they do representing their high school. And that kids now, their names from a recruiting standpoint are made more in the vagabond circuit than the Friday and Saturday night winter circuit. Your thoughts? Uh, I think the last thing you said is is true in terms of, of the recruiting aspect of it. Um, and there are guys, and, and the example I would give you in terms of a guy that I saw his recruiting stock, you know, absolutely, you know, skyrocket based on what he did as, a, as an AAU player, was Tony Perkins of Lawrence North, who is now a, a key contributor at the University of Iowa. In terms of AAU, obviously by the time we're talking about these kids that are seniors, you know, they're, they're not going to have that option. Um, but, but really where, where, where the game is being hurt and they have tried as best they can to fit everything in in such a tight window of time is the fact that once these kids started going, getting on campus in, in some cases, late May, but almost always by Father's Day weekend in June, um, instead of you know getting to campus in August, now you're just out of time. Like literally as of six or seven years ago, these games were played on Saturday and Sunday. Well, there were kids that could play in the Saturday game that couldn't play in the Sunday game. And then it became flipped to work. Hey, the Kentucky game is going to be on Friday. The Indiana game is going to be on Saturday. There's a good number of the kids that are playing in the game that they'll play Saturday night at, at Gambridge Fieldhouse, and they will have to get to campus the next day. Uh, I remember the uh, Fazekas kid from Marquette Catholic who ended up uh, playing at Providence. He couldn't play in the All-Star Series because he had to be at Providence. You mentioned Tay Davis. He couldn't play in the All-Star Series because he had to be at Seton Hall. And so that, that's the traffic you're kind of fighting. Um, it was announced earlier this week that Reed Shepard, Kentucky's Mr. Basketball, is not playing in, in the game, just electing not to play. Um, we kind of had this last year with Fletcher Lawyer, and, and he, Fletcher, to his credit, you know, at least kind of announced this, um, you know, like like a couple of months out, said, "Hey, I, I'm simply not going to, you know, play in this week." Um, Brain Smith couldn't play last year because he was hurt. Uh, you know, it's, it's a different story. So. Um, it is still a priority for the Indiana kids to make the team. It is still a, a priority for the Indiana kids, I believe, to play in the game. 
I just worry about the continual shrinkage of time available for these guys to play in the game. Certainly a program that would love to tap into some of those Indiana All-Stars moving forward would be IUPUI. Rake, new athletic director there this week. I'll be totally honest with you. When I saw the resume, I I was like, is this person running against Joe Hogsett or Jefferson Shreve here? Like, I was a little <laughs> bit like, wow, this is not much of an athletic background. Uh, fill us in on the new athletic director at IUPUI, if you don't mind, and then how sure. much of a priority will it be to... I guess either renovate the jungle or get something on campus from a, a basketball facility. Well, first of all, um, I'd vote for Luke uh, over the other two candidates you mentioned. So I, I, be- <laughs> I believe in Luke. Um, and I've been told he looks like me. I'm not sure about that, but I think he's a handsome fella. Uh, Look at I that. Would put that. Put it that way. Is it Luke Basso? Um, Am I saying that right? You are saying it correctly. Yeah. And, and Luke is a local guy. Luke is a North Central guy, so Jake loves him already. Um, That's right. Luke, Luke went to Franklin College. Luke has been involved. He spent some time working for Learfield and IU Sports Properties, but he has been involved in more of the political kind of community scene more than that. But let me, again, I love the hire, and and again, I know Luke, and so if I didn't know Luke, maybe I'd feel differently. But I know him, and I also know the job. And what that job needs is a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. There are other wonderful people that are already on the staff at IUPUI that, that, that know the kids, that know the NCAA rules. Um, the issue at IUPUI has always been money, whether that is getting it from the Bloomington campus, whether that is being able to go out and generate funds on your own. You've got somebody now that I firmly believe that can do that and knows the right people to ask and knows the buttons to push. So I am I am bullish on the future of IUPUI slash IU Indianapolis. Now, from a naming standpoint, um, I'm not I'm not crazy about IU Indianapolis, and obviously there is the very unique situation where so many of these schools that we refer to as Milwaukee or Green Bay or Charlotte are the University of Wisconsin at Green Bay, University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee. University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And if you go back to the 80s and 90s and even the early 2000s, that's how we refer to those schools. University of Missouri at Kansas City or UMKC. Well, now they all go by their, you know, uh, just city names, even though they've not changed their campuses. Well, you don't have that option uh, because of the University of Indianapolis. Uh, so, again, I'm not crazy about IU Indy, uh, but that, that's kind of a deal that, 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 that's bigger than athletics. Uh, but that's a separate conversation. Now, in terms of the facility, uh, I had Luke on the show on Wednesday when I filled in for JMB, and he very kind of you know deftly said, "Well, that's down the line in terms of, of his concerns." And and honestly, I agree. But Greg, didn't they is, just go ahead? I, I was going to ask you about this because I, I I don't think I'm hallucinating here. Matter of fact, somebody sent this to me. I wish I had it right in front of me, but. And I'm really naive about politics, so my apologies on the the layman terms I'm going to use here. But the latest session at the House, didn't they just pass an appropriation of funds for an arena on the IEPY campus, or at least at the very least to explore using those funds for a campus? And honestly, you're asking the wrong dude because I try to stay away from that myself. Um, So, so it's it's possible. I'm not sure. 
Um, it's it's been something that's been talked about for 25 years at this point, uh, and so I, I, I tend to be of the hey, it's it's great if it happens. Do I see a need for it? Absolutely. Do I think you've got a person that has the right connections to make it happen? I do. Um, but all I'll say is this: Coliseum's a great place to play. It's not on campus. You're you're better off if you're on campus. What what there is more of a need for right now is locker room facility, practice facility. Because not only do so many, you know, Division One programs, you know, have a great place to play from an arena standpoint, they've got a great place to play from a practice standpoint, and they've got great facilities from a locker room standpoint. And that's not the case for IUPUI. They have polished up the jungle uh, to make it a, a great place for volleyball, a great place for women's basketball. But you used the word vagabond earlier. It's kind of been what the men have been in terms of a place to practice, in terms of a locker room facility, because they have not been on campus. So honestly, you would assume that those two things get get bundled together in terms of taking care of that at some point in time, sooner rather than later. But what, again, what what is more immediate um, in terms of men's basketball is, making sure that locker room facility is taken care of, making sure that practice facility is taken care of. But that likely comes with a new on-campus. Man, facility. I'll tell you, Greg, and I get it, and I understand it, and I, I, I totally get it. The thing that worries me is, and I know you've called a ton of games in this arena, and I would assume probably have the same kind of nostalgic love for it that I do, but with the fuel leaving, and if IEPY is not playing there, and the Horizon League's not doing yes. a tournament there, yeah, who are your tenants? I worry about the, yeah. the Coliseum big time. I do too. Um, I do too. Uh, I know the people that that operate the Coliseum in terms of the staff that are there, um, in terms of the events they feel they can go out and get. I know that they do not feel threatened by the fuel leaving. They are looking forward to the opportunity just because. When you have a tenant that plays as many games as at, and, on, and specifically on weekend dates, they feel there's a limit in terms of what they can go out and do. I think you'll see a bit of a difference in how the Coliseum is operated after this hockey season. I'll put it that way. Rick, before we let you go, I do want to touch on the college baseball scene. Feel free to talk about your alma mater. Uh, I didn't realize <laughs> if you make the tournament, you're just in D2. You're in kind of the Omaha version of the final eight at least i think i have that correct uh and then obviously indiana state hosting regional and indiana ball state in lexington so wherever you feel like you want to go with that go right ahead okay so obviously for the greyhounds i'll leave with the alma mater first um they have won their way the, the d2 tournament now completely mimics the division one tournament in other words it's not 64 teams but it's two weekends to get to the world series so UND won their way through the, the Springfield Regional, which had Got four it. teams, and then they beat Quincy um, in the Super Regional. UND has played nothing but teams from their conference so far, uh, and they have gone 5-0 and during the course of the postseason. What makes the UND story remarkable is the fact that they began the season in non-conference play, like 9-0, and 10-0, something along those lines. Just the luck of the draw, they basically played three of the top four other teams in their league the first three weekend series, and their weekend series are four games. They went 2-10. and ten. They were 2-10 and ten in league play in March and still almost didn't completely win their way out, but close to it, won just enough in the conference tournament to be the last team in their region 
uh, in really the kind of the two regions that make up the Midwest region. They were the seven seed out of seven, and they have made their way to the Division II College World Series. So it's it's a great story. Uh, uh, there's a couple of there, there's there's the young man in, in in Ware that had the you know perfect game and cycle. A couple other names that I'll point out to you. One would be E.J. White. That would be Eddie's son. That is the closer for UND. Brad transferred to Paw. He's been great uh, out of the bullpen for them. And I'm a little partial to an outfielder from Cincinnati because he shares the same last name as me. Adam Rakestraw. Had him on the show on Wednesday as well. Great kid. This is his last year. He's going off to law school at the University of Cincinnati. Is this offspring of yours? Of upholding the family intelligence. We are not related. Okay. Just share the same last name. Um, so rooting for them. Now in terms of the uh, Division One aspect of it, you've got IU and Ball State that are playing down in Lexington. That gets underway today. Congratulations to both of those teams. I know a little bit more about Indiana State because I've had them on ESPN Plus a couple of times, and I, I just saw the team that they're playing today in Wright State because they're the Horizon League champs, and I had that tournament last week on ESPN+. Plus. That'll be a great game. But I just think it is so cool that the tournament starts in Terre Haute and the people in the Wabash Valley get to experience cheer on their team. But, I mean, it, it just thinking about this yesterday, dude, North Carolina spending a weekend in Terre Haute. <laughs> like, the universe, and you used to see this, and Jake will, will be thinking about this immediately. In Dean Smith days, he would take, and Roy Williams carried this over too, He'd take his teams to random places to have a senior get a chance to play a game close to home. That's why so North Carolina played so, Butler when Eric Montross was here. Exactly. So you, you've seen that to some degree, but you don't see it now. And, again, it's, it's different in college baseball because of the lack of scholarships kind of narrows the field a little bit. And Indiana State historically has been a good program. I think this is their 11th trip um, you know, to, to the Division One baseball tournament. They made the College World Series back in the 80s. They've now been in the NCAA tournament for the last five years. It's been played. So, I mean, this is a good program, but they've never hosted. And the thought of Iowa and North Carolina spending a weekend in Terre Haute just makes me smile. Yeah, that is that is really cool. I think it's an aspect to the college baseball by tournament. Way, that, that phrase has like very seldomly been uttered on radio, by the way. For what it's worth, what's that? Spending a week in Terre Haute just makes me smile. I will. I will say this: Brad Bowen, an Indiana have, State grad, he would nod his head at that. <laughs> they, 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 they have made efforts. I've spent some time in downtown the last couple of years. There's some cool places to hang. I kid, and you know what? That campus has done a really nice job too. ISU's done a really nice job. Yep, and it's you know what I mean. It's a it's a great opportunity for. <clears throat> Excuse me for a lot of kids. So I mean, I kid, of course. Kudos to the selection no, no, committee. No, no, I mean, listen, okay. There is a stigma about Terre Haute that has been earned over the years. I think there, I think there's a bit of a renaissance going on there. Yeah, that's fair. Go have a drink at the Copper Bar. Go, go have a steak at Jay Ford's. There's some cool spots in down. The people that are in town for a weekend will have a good time in Terre Haute. You know, they are the 14 of 16 seeds. I mean, the selection committee, I think, easily could have opted for, I don't know, more of a bigger, whatever, bigger brand, bigger city, right. however you want to describe it, for a regional host. So kudos to the selection committee as well. Rank, we covered a little bit of everything. Uh, what's on the announcing agenda for you this weekend? A little bit of everything. Um, Indy 11 Women's Soccer have their home debut. So I've got them at Grand Park tonight. This is an event that, again, will resonate, I think, with both of you because you know the guy behind it. 
our buddy Darnell Booker uh, with the Indy Thunder. Sure. Uh, that does beat ball, which is, is baseball slash softball for the blind and visually impaired. We televise a tournament on ISC that he puts on every year at North Central High School. Uh, and so I'll be doing that uh, both Saturday and Sunday. And then, because the Sunday beatball game is so early, uh, I've got enough time to be able to then do the Indiana-Kentucky Junior-Junior All-Star game to kick off a week-long of All-Star festivities. So I'll see Flory Badunga coming up on Sunday afternoon. Uh, girls game at 2, boys game at 4. And I'll mix in soccer Saturday and filling in one time for Bob Lovell this weekend. So a little bit of everything for me coming up the next three days. No shortage of time behind the mic for Greg Rakestraw after a busy month of May out at the track. Rake, thank you as always. Have a great weekend. See you guys. Hey, so we got another draft workout coming up today. I can't believe neither one of you guys brought donuts in. I didn't know that it was National Donut Day. Mark, you knew this fact. I heard it on the radio driving in. I'm like, uh, it, I mean, at this point, it's the seventh time it's been the National Donut uh, Day this right. year. You know how many? Knew because Ashley told me last night, oh, go get your free donut on the circle. Go get your free donut on the circle tomorrow. I'm like, what? And she's like, oh, there's donuts on the circle. It's National Donut Day. You know and how I many... walked out and there's no donuts. Yeah, you know how many are out there right now? Donut. It's yeah. The only donut out there is the circle. <laughs> That's true. It's under a bit of a renovation, is it not? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got some weak jokes here to lead off this Friday. Uh, Dustin DePerak, he'll be a busy man today. Again, another draft workout for the Pacers over at their complex um, a little bit later. Dustin joins us, uh, obviously, courtesy of Indianapolis Star and his coverage of the Pacers. Dustin, I, I'll start off with this. It's a question I threw to Scott Agnes yesterday, and I'll ask you from what you think Kevin Pritchard believes. Do you think Kevin Pritchard looks at pick seven and says, that needs to be best player available, or that needs to be best fit? I think so. Scott actually asked him this, uh, and I think um, you know after the immediately after the lottery, and he said, you know, sometimes it's best. He said sometimes I pick for fit and been wrong. Sometimes I pick for best player and been wrong. Um, but the thing he said, I think that stood out that, that where I think he leaned uh, is that he said it's got to be a high ceiling player. Uh, it can't be somebody you look at and say, okay, like that guy's plug and play, but he's only going to get so much better. Like he's he's going to be this. This is the best thing he's going to be, and even if that fits really well, uh, I think he's looking for something bigger. Now, I do think that there, if you're looking at pick seven and saying, okay, who's potentially available, uh, the guys that you would say are best fit are still pretty good. Um, you know, and I would say like Jarris Walker and, and Taylor Hendricks. Like I think they, both of those guys have uh, opportunities for growth, and they're you know uh, really skilled four guys who can defend multiple positions and block shots and run around. Like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of upside um, there. But I mean, I think. You know, I think if there's somebody really intriguing left on the board, like, I mean, I think one of the Thompson twins, I think he'd, he'd be very tempted if one of those guys is still left, uh, just because of the, the athleticism, the growth potential, what they can become as players if you put them in uh, a professional system. So I think he, he obviously looks at it and says, you got to hit this. Um, you know, you, you can't, this one has to be somebody that matters for you for a long time. You know, this can't be somebody who just comes in for a couple years, plays a role, and moves on. Um, so I, I think. 
you know, high ceiling, you know, really makes a difference. So you kind of lean best player available if you're thinking that way, because I mean, you just think, okay, who who can be with us for, you know, four or five years, really grow into a star. Um, But I think there's potential for some of those more defensive oriented guys to be that. Um, But I do think if there's somebody more intriguing that he says, you know, this guy can really be, uh, you know, close to an all-star caliber level level player. I I don't think he's going to leave, leave somebody on the board that he thinks is going to be great. Uh, I'll put it that way. I get the impression that the Pacers, for example, I think they really like Brandon Miller out of Alabama. Mm. I just do. I I think that they Mm. look at him and say, that is the skill. And they're not alone in that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Not original thought here. But I think they will explore. I'm not saying necessarily aggressively, but instead of waiting for the phone to ring, it wouldn't surprise me if they make a few calls to see if someone would be interested in their seven and a couple of other pieces in order to move up to the area where they think he may be, which is probably within the top two to four. Your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure they've made that call already. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know that to report it, but I mean, I, I can't imagine that they haven't called to find out and kick the tires and find out. Okay, what would those two teams want? I mean, obviously, it, basically, it seems like the consensus is Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller are two and three. You know, I, I think that's just sort of uh, pr- pretty presumed that it's you know Wembenyama's one. That's a you know stone cold fact. But you know Miller and Henderson are two. I don't see anybody sneaking up in a position where you might pick them over one of those two guys. So what you're asking is, okay, what does Charlotte want and what does Portland want? It seems like Portland pretty aggressively is willing to shop their pick. Um, and obviously, the question, obviously, first off, is does Charlotte want Brandon Miller bad enough? I mean, they, they, they might say if they want Brandon Miller worse than Scoot Henderson, uh, that means you're probably not getting them. You know, you, you, there's, there's probably nothing that they would trade that pick for. If they really like Miller, I'd be really surprised if they want to move that pick. Uh, Portland it seems to really want to move from three. Um, move back from three, but more to the point, once you know, once players that you can pair with Dame right now and go after, you know, go after a title. Now, I mean, is that realistic? Who knows? But I mean, they want to start. It seems like that's what most of, you know, most of what I've seen out there uh, is. And so they want a player. They're not going to be satisfied with a bunch of picks. I mean, they don't need uh, seven and 26 and 29. Like that, that's not a reason for them to move back uh, from three. Um, you know, you, you can still get, if you get Brandon Miller, he has a chance of being, a, uh, um, you know, being an important piece for you. I think they want something they want something more and so the question is if you're the Pacers what are you going to give up on the roster now I, I think if you're if, if you're dealing with Portland you're asking yourself about what's currently on your team and what you're willing to give up um, and so that's the question is you know what like would they trade Buddy Heald for the opportunity of getting Brandon Miller? Is that enough for Portland? And would you go so far as to trade Miles Turner, which I think is sort of where you know that gets the price it gets to be a little bit too high, and you better also get another really good player back from Portland uh, in that case. I mean, then I think when you're dealing with Portland, I think you're dealing with big packages, like big packages that include current established players, and you got to go into that with an understanding of who you're willing to give up. Is there some truth to this statement, Dustin? And hmm. that is that. Indiana, while they have really good young pieces, does not yet have the depth at any of those pieces to be able to surrender one of them without then creating yet another void. That's mostly true. Uh, that's that's mostly true. I would say, um, 
and there, I would say there are young pieces that they could give up, though, that I just don't think they're going to command that much. You know, like right now, I don't know what the market is for Duarte. You know, I mean, like you could probably move him if you wanted to. And, and or Isaiah Jackson. Like, I feel right. like they probably, even though I think Isaiah Jackson has a lot of promise, mm-hmm. it hasn't shown itself consistently enough to either A, feel like you can hand the keys over to him if you move Turner, or B, use mm-hmm. him as a piece. Yeah, right. I mean, I think there's – basically, you're asking yourself when you're moving Jackson, like, all right, like, how much does somebody want to back up Athletic 5? Because that's what he's going to be. Like, I, I just I – just, I don't see him – I don't see in his future Miles Turner, you know, from, from the just full skill set, able to consistently hit 35 or so percent of his threes, um, you know, to, to be a, a really good all-around defender, not just a shot blocker. Uh, it is somebody that, that – pieces it all together i mean he's a super athlete great dude you know i, I think he's going to be useful in the nba for a long long time i, I, I just don't know that he becomes miles turner at some point in time miles turner is probably uh, you know ninth tenth ish in terms of if you're talking about best centers in the league so you know how much is that going to command i mean like i think you can move him and get something i don't think there's any doubt about that but it's just he it's not necessarily a piece that's going to bring in a huge huge haul for you um and so and, and i also don't know that it makes a difference uh for getting you you know, forgetting Brandon Miller, Portland has its eyes set on, on something as big as it seems like they do. And maybe you can move if, if you want to get four. If, if Again, if you're, you know, really interested in Jairus Walker or, or Osar Thompson and you want to guarantee yourself something for that, you know, that you might be able to throw him in and get something out of it and, and give somebody else more depth. Um, but that's it's not huge move the needle stuff. And I, I kind of feel like the only two guys that can really move the needle for somebody, I mean, Neesmith would help. You know, Neesmith would help. Uh, Nemhard would help. Jackson would help. Jalen Smith would help. Any of those guys would sort of help a deal. But, you know, when, when you're talking about a, a big, big package and trying to get a big-time player um, or, you know, move up with Portland, you're probably going to have to move somebody like Buddy or and or, or Turner. And that, that, I think, is the one where I think it's just a step too far. You better get something huge if you're giving up Turner. Uh, one of Dustin's latest, the pros and cons of, of kind of maybe that, that tier three that Kevin Pritchard's talked about. A really well done piece there evaluating some of these prospects. Dustin, I did want to kind of shift gears to the local angle from the NBA draft, non-Pacers related. And by that, Jalen Hood, Shafino, mm. Trace Jackson Davis, Zach Eady. Um, again, Zach Eady's going back to school, but, you know, I, I guess take any of the three that that, that you feel like uh, there's there's something there to to chat about. It seems like Hood Shafino continues to be viewed pretty highly by those in the NBA. Again, we'll see about Trace Jackson Davis and you know if he gets into that back end of the first round. And then how close I guess do you think Zach Eady was to potentially keeping his name in the draft? Yeah, and I mean I'll hit on all three. I mean obviously Hood Shafino seems a safely. I think he's probably a top twenty guy, and and I think he's just he, he sort of he, he fits basically. I mean, he he fits the NBA. That's what they're looking for as a point guard. Uh, bigger guy, obviously has a lot of playmaking ability, ability to hit shots. Uh, you know, occasionally from three, but you know, really good in the mid range. Where I think still matters. I think for point guards when you're picking roll, you know, doing as much pick and roll as they do in the NBA, I think the ability to kind of hit that you know elbow fifteen footer is is an important thing. And he just he just showed everything you could ask for, um, basically from a guy in his situation. So I think he's uh, really safe top 20 guy I mean the team I, I keep seeing in mock drafts lately is Miami and I think that fits uh, just get more of a playmaking one for those guys not that they don't have uh, certainly talent Gabe Vincent's obviously been very very productive for, for them in the playoffs uh, you know all those you know, undrafted guys Max Drews and just everybody that's that's 
you know, Kyle Lowry even coming off the bench has helped. So they could use uh, a, a point guard that you can kind of you know put your future on. Uh, and I think Huchovino could be that guy. So I think he, I, I think you're going to see him go maybe the end of the lottery, fourteen-ish. But I think uh, I think he'll safely be gone by twenty. He again, he just he just seems to fit the league really well. That just seems like an, an obvious fit. Uh, I think Tracy Jackson Davis has performed. You know, really well held himself. I mean, I, obviously, I think you're looking at, you know, late first, early second. Um, but unlike last year, I think you could safely say that somebody's going to take him. Um, and so I don't know. Um, you know, I know there are Pacers fans that, w- that uh, would like to see him just because he's, you know, done so much for IU. I don't think he fits because I think he's, he's leaning towards being a small ball five. Um, and obviously, they've got enough of those already and have a hard enough time getting uh, – minutes for uh for smith and jackson so um you know i don't know that he fits there but i think there's a lot of places that could use him i think uh the passing ability i think has really helped um uh oh shoot okay uh his um his performance as a passer i think is is really helps him i think that's uh really improved his uh dropability i think the defense the athleticism you know all that is uh you know Really, I think he really did help himself too uh, by uh, just really moving well. Um, I think that's the one thing that he really wanted to do uh, in draft workouts to show that he's got some agility. He can move and he can send the pick and roll. And I don't think he's great at that, but I think he's better than a lot of people thought. Dustin, appreciate the time. Hope all is good. Um, was was got, got a little nervous there. I didn't know if you have a parking ticket or something. <laughs> I, I do got something I got to take care of. Okay, all good. Thank you. All right.